This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, hello, good afternoon, welcome to the program. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a very few moments, a voice quite familiar to CKNW listeners, David Berner, will join us to talk about Tropical Oasis Treatment Center, a facility specializing in treating people suffering from mental health or addiction problems in California and Costa Rica. David has been involved in similar programs for many years and has some strong opinions on addiction, treatment and recovery and we look forward to your calls as well but first here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week and there was no bigger story here in canada this week than the one about bread apparently this country's biggest bread makers have been fixing prices and overcharging us for many years two of them loblaws and weston bakery have admitted to collusion have been granted immunity from prosecution loblaws will now offer 25 gift cards as a goodwill gesture. Registration to receive the cards begins January 8th, at which time you will have to go to a Loblaw website, declare yourself to be of majority age, and say that you bought one or more overpriced bread products in the time frame specified. Pre-registration is already underway. Loblaw says they expect between 3 and 6 million of us will apply. This PR gesture may help Loblaws look a little better, but it won't save them or any other retailer from class action lawsuits, and we'll keep you posted on those. Some of Loblaw's competitors, like Sobeys, have come out strongly against the position Loblaw's took, saying they don't want to be tarred with the same brush, and they're admitting nothing. And yesterday, Save On Foods announced it will give away $25 gift cards, too, while admitting nothing about any price-fixing. This story is far from over. Nissan Canada Finance says the personal information of over 1 million customers may have been exposed due to a data breach. On Thursday, the carmaker said hackers have gained access rather to information of some who finance their Nissans through the company. Nissan said the breach happened on December 11th and steps have been taken to improve security, but customers won't weren't notified until this week and that everyone affected will be contacted. This is still very much an open file, and we're tracking it all the way. There was a weird but not altogether unexpected announcement from Apple this week as they revealed what phone customers have suspected for years. They deliberately slow down old iPhones with OS updates. Apple says, oh, it's all about preserving battery life. But tech analysts say it's one of those industry secrets that's finally out in the open. And they also say Apple isn't the only phone maker guilty of this stuff either. Now, the easiest way around this and the best way to preserve battery life? One of two. Either don't get the updates or replace your battery as soon as you notice it slowing down. iPhone 6 and 7 models appear to be the most affected and so far two class action lawsuits have been filed against Apple in California and Illinois by people who say they were never consented. They were consulted and they never consented to have their phones slowed down and they claim they've been damaged by the less than quality performance of their 
phones. Uh, they've been forced to purchase unwanted updates and so on. And this is just getting started. We talked about seasonal scams on the show last week. And here's another one. Netflix Canada is warning subscribers to be wary of fraudulent messages that appear to be sent by Netflix saying some Canadian users are receiving suspicious texts and emails asking for login details. The fake messages will tell you your Netflix access has been suspended due to a payment issue. They direct you then to a fake website that asks for your credit card information. It's all part of a phishing scam, and the fake Netflix website appears very similar to the actual company webpage, including images from the crown. It's very authentic looking. Netflix, however, recommends users do not click the link sent in the fake email. The link contains malware. And finally, here's a story many have been waiting to hear for a long time. McDonald's is going vegan. Okay, not completely. But beginning next week in hundreds of McDonald's locations in Sweden and Finland, the McVegan burger will be on the menu. It's already been tested in Finland. It features a soy patty, egg-free sauces, and then the usual add-ons. The burger comes from Norway, and McDonald's says this is simply a response to a changing food market in which more and more people want to eat plant-based foods for a number of reasons, one of which is the environment. McDonald's isn't the only company jumping on the vegan diet either. Earlier this year, Nestle bought a company called Sweet Earth, which specializes in vegan and vegetarian burritos and burgers. Global sales of vegan-labeled foods increased by nearly 8% last year, totaling now just under 13 billion dollars. Those are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. We'll have a look at some more later in the show, and we'll have a steel report for you as well. Up next, former CKNW host David Berner returns to his old haunt to talk about Tropical Oasis Treatment Center and to take your calls on matters of substance abuse, addiction, and mental health. Stay with us. We look forward to your calls here on Vancouver Consumer on 980 CKNW. It is a lovely Saturday afternoon on the west coast of Canada, a little on the cool side, and more than a few frantic shoppers 21 stories below us filling up Pacific Center. It's Sterling Fox and Vancouver Consumer, and friends, a real pleasure to welcome to the uh, airwaves of Vancouver Consumer a fellow who has uh, haunted these airwaves for many, many years in days gone by. It's a real pleasure to say hello again to David Berner. Welcome back, David. Hello, Sterling. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. What a beautiful view of the city on such a crisp, sunny afternoon. Indeed, it's good to have you back on your old stomping grounds here in Radio Land. Now, tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days, because it's all about today. Your appearance today is with us uh, because of this Tropical Oasis Treatment Center. And I should tell our listeners that before you became a broadcaster, you were uh, many years before you became a broadcaster, you've been involved with addiction and substance abuse and treatment and rehabilitation for a very, very, very long time. Thank you, Sterling, well, I'm proud to say that I built the first treatment center in Canada, the first residential treatment center in Canada, the Ex-Calais Foundation, in 1967 when I was, you know, a little kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, we went from nothing uh, to 125 people in residence in four years, and we owned and operated a Shell gas station, a beauty parlor, a uh, pen advertising company, um, a hotel on Salt Spring Island. I'm missing something. Mm. Some other thing we did. Anyway, oh, uh, did I mention? Yeah, I said the gas station. Anyway, we had five businesses all run by 
recovering addicts and alcoholics. And then in our fourth year of operation, we duplicated in Winnipeg. And today, the Winnipeg facility continues to operate under a different name. It's now called the Behavioral Health Foundation, has 136 men, women, and children uh, in recovery. It's packed a six-month waiting list, which is part of what we're going to talk about today, those mm-hmm. waiting lists. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if I fell over, I'm not planning on falling over on, no, your, on your desk in the next four minutes, but if I did, that would be my contribution to society. So, so yeah, I've been involved for years, and then the last six years I've been uh, a consultant and uh, counselor, therapist, a lecturer at the Orchard uh, Treatment Center on Bowen, on Bowen Island, Island, right yeah, here. which yeah. is a private for-profit uh, agency, also a marvelous place. Do you still hold the title Executive Director of the Drug Prevention Network of Canada? I do. Thank you for asking. Yeah, and we're still involved. We're, we're uh, in conversations with uh, the police about a possible... Uh, thing we might do. I don't want to talk about it because it's just a conversation, but but I'm very, very struck by how progressive and and brilliant and aware our chief of police, Adam Palmer, is. Mm-hmm. He's really blown me away. He's really impressed me as, uh, first of all, he's a very gracious, lovely person, but, but, but he's terribly smart. And uh, many people don't know this, but they put out, he and the police department, published a huge document in May of this year. The, the headline says the opioid crisis, but the second line is the police department calling for treatment on demand. Mm. They are saying there aren't enough beds, and what are we going to do about getting some more? So I've presented a project to him about how we could create some more beds uh, without costing millions and millions of dollars. I've been here since the 70s, and yeah. that, that phrase, I don't know how many times, how many hundred times I've heard it. They're just, we're playing catch-up ball, and it appears, David, we're, we're sort of destined to be in that position forever. How far are we away, realistically, in December 2017, from having enough beds to provide the rehabilitation and treatment that uh, that the market would demand. There's two. There's a two pronged answer to that, Sterling. One is that if uh, if uh, you know this kind of project that that I'm talking to, to, to these folks about, if that thing could get off the ground, we could get some more beds uh, very quickly. Okay. But let's say none of this happens. Let's say we don't do that project. Uh, the the whole impetus today is to give addicts everything. So today in the Vancouver Sun, you saw a big article about Dr. Mark Tyndall, uh, who's one of the leaders in the harm reduction movement. Mm-hmm. And, and he thinks it's a great idea to have uh, opioid uh, substitutes dispensed from dispensing machines. Mm-hmm. So, so you're... I you're, saw that this morning. Yeah, your average user can go... And, uh, and uh, take a stolen credit card and put it put it in a, in a machine and and vend themselves some opioids, mm. you know. And the people at the Portland Hotel are proudly showing off that they have a machine where people can buy crack pipe kits. Isn't that neat? Mm. When will those be at the airport? I ask myself. So um, uh, this and we've had this conversation, but it's been a long time. These efforts by some well-meaning individuals and groups, you tend to see uh, under the general umbrella heading of enabling. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you see, there's a there's a current, uh, a very carefully concerted, very concerted, very carefully planned and and executed pl- uh, operation going on with those same folks, where they're trying to tell everybody that they're really interested in recovery, except. They're not. It's nonsense. It's a lie. They're not interested in recovery because they haven't done any and they haven't shown any. There is a belief system in our community today, not amongst folks, not amongst you, me, these gentlemen in the in, in the control room, not amongst shoppers, but amongst the powers that be. There is a belief system, Sterling, that addicts and alcoholics are hopeless, that 12-step programs don't work in spite of the literally millions of people who are walking around our midst clean and sober because of programs like that, Mm -hmm. that those things don't work. And so we have to, as one of our great mayors once said, keep people comfortable, you know. So we have to give, 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 and give, and it's not working. Let me let me let me tackle a, an issue about the opioid crisis. Yeah, please, because I, I, I'm glad you just arrived, jumped right into it because I was going to go there as quickly as I could anyway. Because there is, regrettably, quite an elevated level of awareness amongst certainly Vancouverites, let alone Canadians, with respect to opioids, particularly because of fentanyl and the astonishing number of casualties in our city. And let's t- so let's talk about what's really happening in that story. Much of what is reported is valid, and it's true, and it's happening. But here's some things you don't hear about. One of the things is that we are reviving a guy named Eddie five times a day. In other words, we are reviving Mm -hmm. the same schmo five times a day. The first responders will tell you that. And the the second thing is that the first responders are now massively suffering from PTSD. I should think so. First responders will now tell you, firemen will tell you, that they, if they go to one call out of ten is is a fire, that's a lot. Because the other nine calls are Eddie overdosing again or Janie overdosing again and here's the tragedy because of the mental set that our community has because of Trudeau's father the late Pierre Elliott and his charter of rights because of a whole shift about 30 40 years ago in the way we look at who we are and what we do it's no longer kosher to lean over Eddie after you revive him and say Eddie we're so glad you brought we brought you back to life, brother. Now get in that damn truck because we're taking you to treatment. Right. We, you see, that would be violating poor Eddie's rights to say that to him. It's not nice to say that to him. And yet, and yet, because you mental, mentioned mental health a couple times I in did, your yeah. intro, mm-hmm. there was a piece in The Sun yesterday or the day before about a mother saying it's so good and so important that her son can be pushed into mental health treatment uh, against his will because he's flat nuts and out of control, mm-hmm. you see. Now, I'm not saying that that uh, addicts are nuts and, and out of control, but why don't we at least offer them the option? Now, you'll hear the people who run places like uh, the safe injection sites, you'll hear them say, well, that's just the first step towards treatment, and it's a bald-faced lie. Because, Sterling, I know every recovery center in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. I know the executive directors. I know the therapists. I know some of the clients. I've been around this thing for 50 years. And I can tell you as a fact, 
they cannot name one client who has ever come from the safe injection site. Mm, no, no clients have ever been sent for treatment because they don't believe in it. And you know who else doesn't believe in treatment? Who's that? The six, is it five or six health authorities, the Fraser Health oh, Authority, right, the right. Victoria, Vancouver mm-hmm. Health Authority. Coastal. The, and yeah, those, right. those folks don't believe in treatment. And they resist paying for beds. And yet you, we have these centers. You worked with the Orchard and still do from time to time uh, yes. over here in our backyard on Bowen Island. Yes. You're now uh, connecting up with this organization in California, down in Central America, in Costa Rica as well. Yeah. So these people who do seek and find treatment centers like the ones we're about to discuss, yes. are these people... They're, are they pushed by parents and family members? I don't imagine a lot of addicts go individually seeking treatment. So uh, if the authorities aren't sort of pushing individuals in that direction, is it the family support units that are doing so? Well, actually, here's, here's a slightly cheering thought. Actually, there are lots of people who, who are sending themselves into treatment. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, there are lots and lots of clients who have brought themselves to treatment, okay? Uh, but yes, it's mostly families and friends. It's families and friends. Oh, and also, by the way, uh, enlightened companies, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't want to name names, but I think of a company that I know uh, that's a utility, say, uh, and they have huge, what, what are those called, EAP programs, employment uh, something or other, you know, uh, I can't say it. I don't know what it is, EAP. Uh, they they have programs where they say, okay, Charlie, uh We've noticed that you're you're really an alcoholic, you know. Oh, and, right, right. And so, so they got employee assistance programs. That was the word. Thank right, you, yeah. thank you, right, sure. thank you for that. Uh, we we don't want to fire you because mm-hmm. you're a good, valued employee. But you need to. We need you need to get some help, and we're we'll, we're here to help you get help. Exactly. Right. And they've got the coverage. They've got the insurance. Sure. And they say you've got to go, and then you've got to be monitored. And I have several clients because I run a little a little. Uh, program on the street called stay sober which is for clients who've been in treatment and are now back in their normal lives and need a little uh, occasional uh, propping up kind of uh, thing? occasional like like every week because because sterling it's one thing to go into primary treatment and it's another thing to step out 30 days later right. you've spent you've spent how many years for example how many years have you spent bigger broadcaster 40 Something. Oh, you, you, forty something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. Okay. So, so you've put in. You you have all of your routines down. You have your skill set down, and so on. Well, an alcoholic or an addict has the same habituations. Mm-hmm. He, he or she has all the same habits, all the same things he or she does. Now you go into a program for thirty days, and people shake your cage and they say, look, you need some new thinking. You've got to examine, you know, this, this, these terrible things that happened in your childhood. You've got to rethink some things. That's very nice for 30 days. And right. I'm, not, I'm not dumping on it because of places like the Orchard and other places that I'll name as we go along mm-hmm. do wonderful work, okay? But you can't solve things in 30 days. Exactly. Is, is that a typical treatment period, 30 days? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and you're, some, some are 60, it se- it some seems, are 90. It seems, it seems short. It's short, and it's intense, and it's also an escape from, from the real world. So you're in this touchy-feely, huggy-bear-kissy-face environment where everybody's very kind and... And supportive. And supportive. Sure. And, and no you're, negative. You're doing, you're doing yoga. Right. You're doing art therapy, blah, blah, blah. And then you come out into the world which is demented. 
the world hasn't stopped being crazy. Right, right. You, you know, you've just uh, straightened out a little bit. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's for that. right. So it's a tough gig. Right. I see. Okay. Well, we're going to talk more about this, and we're going to open up our phone lines to Ben Dooley as our producer, as always. You'll talk to Ben before David and me. Uh, but let's open up the phone lines right now. It's six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight. We're going to break for the news in a couple of seconds, and we'll get right to some phone calls with David Burner uh, from Tropical Oasis Treatment Center in California and in Costa Rica. We'll find out more about those exotic locations and and uh, affordability and all of those other things turns out uh, it's about as expensive to go to costa rica as it is to go to bowen island so uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit 604-280-9898 david burner is back on cknw on vancouver consumer and we're all back after the news Lots of sunshine at 2.34 on a Saturday afternoon. It's Vancouver Consumer on 980 CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. David Berner is on the program today, and we're talking about the Tropical Oasis Treatment Centers in California and in Costa Rica. And we did open our phone lines prior to the news break, and so uh, we better, uh, David, take a couple of calls because, well, people have been waiting for a few minutes. And we'll start with Jerry in North Delta. Thank you for your patience. Jerry, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I won't t- take too much time, but I'm just saying it's uh, nice to hear uh, uh, Mr. Berner talking about this subject again. Uh, uh, it's just uh, my my opinion is just when there's uh, too much um, harm reduction uh, mentality, but it doesn't seem to be enough money spent on actual treatment centers. So you're basically keeping these uh, poor people, uh, uh, you know going around in a circle of, of you know, uh, the addiction without getting the treatment that they need, you know. So. Well, I'll tell you, Jerry, thank you for that. I'll tell you what uh, the government has spent money on. Uh, last year, the provincial government spent $100 million on methadone, mm. which is a substitute uh, narcotic that's six times more addictive than heroin. And uh, you're absolutely right. When Philip Owen, a former uh, mayor, uh, first came out with uh, the what he called the four pillars. The four pillars. Of, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we were immediately in this very room talking about how that was a cute idea, but the reality was there was one pillar and three matchsticks, and uh, and now that's more true than ever because now uh, we spent uh, six million one year and eight million another having uh, a so-called scientist at UBC giving away free heroin to heroin addicts. I'm sure the heroin addicts just laugh up their sleeves at this these Santa Clauses who keep giving them stuff. But the people at the harm reduction centers, yeah, now, yeah. to give them their due, I yes. mean, they will point to the fact that they save lives. If people, we didn't provide this service, for lack of a better word, in this community, more people would literally kill themselves on our streets. The reasonable, yeah, except we're having more overdoses than we've ever had. But the the, the, the reasonable use of something like methadone, Sterling, uh, and listeners is that, is uh, sure, some people will really struggle during uh, uh, detox. You know, mm. uh, I've watched dozens and dozens of people detox, and it was like the flu. It wasn't. It wasn't a big Hollywood production. But some people will really suffer, and so methadone is a good way to come down off something like heroin. Right. Uh, but it's for five days. You know. But now we're having doctor after doctor, psychiatrist after psychiatrist saying you should be on methadone for a year. I had a client. Crying with me not too long ago, saying, "But I don't want to be on methadone. I'm trying to get clean." Right? 
Yeah, and, and I think, anyway, I don't want to go on about no, that. But, but, Jerry, thanks very much for your call. I appreciate it. Um, and let's talk about, uh, in addition to heroin and other addictive substances in that category, let's talk about prescription addictions, David, because this is the sinister part. People who, who shoot heroin in back alleys pretty much know what they're getting into. People who have a backache or a, a sports injury or a fall, who uh, live with chronic pain and who seek medical relief and are given prescription opioids uh, for the relief, suddenly, uh, weeks, days, months, perhaps years later, find themselves as addicted to their prescriptions as the people in the back alley shooting heroin. Uh, they may have more means to acquire their drugs, but it's the same cycle, David. I'm very glad you raised that, uh, Sterling, because here are two frightening facts. Number one, uh, prescription drug overdoses account now for more deaths in the United States than the combination of traffic fatalities, guns, and heart attacks. Wow. Uh, and and he, in the United States, that's saying something, isn't that's, it? That's a lot. And, and here in Canada, as in America, the biggest single villain in the addictions game are prescription drugs. And the reason for that, there's a double reason. First is you've got to read this gigantic, brilliant article in The New Yorker of about three, uh, four weeks ago talking about the family that uh, owned Purdue, uh, owns Purdue Pharmaceuticals. And they not only produced Oxy, but they lied to every doctor and shrink in the, in America and said, oh, it's perfectly safe, it's mm. not addictive, yeah. and so on and so forth. And they have been... They have become billionaires on this, and they are famous, that family, for uh, building wings of hospitals, wings of museums and art galleries and so on. But they have been lying to people and killing people, uh, and doctors are too easily persuaded that this is the next good, whatever it is, the next good thing. Sure. In any event, let me, there's one thing I really need to say, uh, Sterling, before we go on. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, this place that I'm doing some work with, but mm. I do want to say that there are excellent not-for-profit and excellent profit uh, recovery centers. So we have we have both in British Columbia, right here in our own backyard. Uh, absolutely. Because okay. not everyone yeah. can afford uh, to go to a, a, a posh private facility and be looked after in that this special way that only those kind of facilities can really afford to do. Well, there's a joke on the street, and the joke is that, that if you're poor, you get a methadone uh, 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 or the safe injection site, and if you're rich, you get a a private treatment center. So let me name some of the great treatment centers that don't cost money to the client. These are places that have all been around 20, 30, 40 years. They have churned out dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of clean and sober citizens. They do really tough, serious work, and they know what they're doing. Okay. The last door in New Westminster Westminster House, just down the street from the last door. Uh, uh, Westminster House is for women. Uh, Inner Visions Recovery Society in in uh, Coquitlam area. John Vulcan Foundation out in out in Surrey. Pacifica, which has facilities right right across from City Hall uh, in Richmond, in North Vancouver, all over the place. 
uh, 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 sorry, Pacifica is at 11th and, and commercial. Turning Point has facilities across from City Hall and in and Richmond and in North Vancouver. Uh, Baldy Hughes up in up in Prince George and so on. So those are those are among the many not-for-profit okay. places that do great work. Then we have at least four private centers that do great work, uh, but they cost. You know, somewhere between sixteen and twenty grand for a month. Okay, they are the Orchard, sure. where, I, where I worked for six years. Cedars at Cobble Hill, uh, outside of Nanaimo. Edgewood, right in Nanaimo, and the Sunshine Coast Recovery Center uh, on the Sunshine Coast. Okay, these are people who run clinics, and they're you know they're, they're all of these places, including including the other places I named, are all staffed with all of the right kinds of people and so on. Right, one one set of them are not for profits and and those beds are paid by the government but the government resists the government you know is so reluctant to put more people in more beds and they they don't believe that it really works and of course they have very little jurisdiction over what private clinics do except, right. except that they have to you know uh, they have to have the right people working there and so on so we have places the problem is as as the Vancouver Police Department has said in this May 17th document uh we're out of beds. Right. We don't have enough beds. And everybody will tell you that. So my question to you, Sterling, is God forbid you have a, a grandchild who's a 15-year-old girl, and she comes downstairs one day and says, Grandpa, I'm ready, meaning I'm ready to get off the street and mm-hmm. I'm ready to get off drugs. Right. What do you do? Sure. And, and the answer is you'll go nuts. I'll tell you right now. You'll go nuts trying to find a bed. Especially for kids under 19. All right, back to the phone board. Chris in East Vancouver, thank you for waiting. Hello. Hey, how you doing? All right, thanks. Okay, well, I'm, uh, I've am i been a professional touring musician for 20 years. Okay. I've seen uh, all forms of addiction and, you know, the harm it causes. And I sort of take offense to uh, a lot of the uh, treatment options available to people. Um, the 11-step program and AA... That's based on a thing called the Jelinek Curve, and it's really dinosaur science. And, uh, you know, you take people who are addicted to drugs, and you tell them they have a disease, and they're a victim. And, you know, you crush their confidence, and they tend to surrender to addiction. And they're powerless to get out of that cycle. And, I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing. I've seen many, many, many people go through this, including my mother. Mm. AA, and uh, she got herself out of alcoholism through willpower alone. There is a new science, and it's proven, and the case studies are out there, that you have to uh, tell the addict that they chose to put themselves in that position, and they have to choose to get themselves out of that position and give them the, wealth, the willpower to defeat their addiction, because uh, the 11-step program uh, has a very low success rate. Interesting. Chris, let me, let, me just, let me just put you on hold for just a second, because I'm hearing stuff from Chris, David, that I heard from you literally 20 years ago. We used to kick this stuff around when we were doing late nights together across the national network. And you haven't changed your tune a lot. No, no, I haven't. Well, what, the, the big word that I write on, on a board when I'm lecturing to a room full of addicts, I say it doesn't matter what we may talk about, it doesn't matter what we may preach, it doesn't matter how many uh, uh, traumas we dig into in group therapy, the single biggest word in recovery is choice. So I can't solve your problems. I'm not here to solve your problems. I'm here to talk about how you might solve your problems. Right. As long as you want to keep working, I'll work with you. 
But the moment you pick up, don't talk to me because I don't talk to drunks and, and using addicts. But as it's your choice. This this caller is absolutely right. Choice is the single biggest factor. People have to choose between their children and their bottle. They have to choose between their children and their uh, their cap of junk or their pipe or whatever. Yeah. And and the problem is addiction is so such a pervasive thing and it's so binding and it holds you so much in its chokehold that so many thousands, millions of people will forego their children or their work yeah. or you know f- for that that uh, momentary high. Uh, Chris, uh, David is yeah. ag- is agreeing with you, and and you, you're making some pretty strong points. And I think the the, the part that um, uh, is most relatable for anyone listening is the fact that if you are an addict, uh, in the eyes of many, particularly uh, in public official life, Chris, who are charged with dealing with this situation, uh, you're a victim, and and um, that's. Uh, well, I think that you really have to change that tone, though. You can't you can't keep keep waving that flag. I mean, you have to empower people. You have to make them feel as though they're not victims. That's my point exactly. Exactly. And that's David's point exactly. Assume some responsibility and uh, and show some initiative that you are actually trying and will happily work with you. Chris, Chris, I want to tell you very a very quick short story. It's exactly what you're talking about. I was working with a client. We'll say his name is Bob because it isn't. And uh, and at some point in group therapy, I said to him, and, and what about your major problem, which is that you're a people pleaser? And so we talked about that, about how he spends all his life trying to please other people. And then when the session was over, I was trying to race out of the building for a personal reason, and I handed him this glass of water that I had and said, Bob, would you throw that in the kitchen for me? And he he brought me to my knees in hysterics because he said, F you, David. <laughs> <laughs> right. So much for being a, a people pleaser. Because <laughs> he took what I said seriously sure, and sure. he turned it back on me. And I thought it was one of the most brilliant and memorable and funny things I ever witnessed. Tell us about Tropical Oasis Treatment Centers, David. What, uh, what did they do? Because they've approached you. They have facilities in Los Angeles and in Orange County. And they're building another one right now in Costa Rica in a beautiful ocean well, well, they're not location. building. It's there. It's been there for ages. Uh, and you are, yeah. um, among other things, yeah. you're, you're training staff. They have an excellent staff, and you're yes. a, a staff resource person. Right. So in addition to dealing with clients, you're also dealing with, with the staff individuals, too. So what does Tropical do? What is their approach okay. to recovery? Well, their approach, look, this is, this, these places are owned by uh, a man who owns uh, 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 Several houses in Los Angeles County owns about ten houses in in Orange County, uh, just south of of LA along mm. the beaches and so on. And Tropical Oasis is, is operates under a different name, though the ones in California are called Footprints. Okay, but but he owns both of them. He's he's owned Tropical Oasis and operated it for years, but had an unfortunate sort of falling out with a business partner, so they shut it down for several months, and now they're reopening it, and they've already sent the executive director there and they've hired some shrinks so that's why I, that's why i thought yeah. they were building yeah. it's they're reopening no no, no, okay. no they're reopening they've, right. they've got the staff they've they've they're they're cooking up the kitchen everything's happening and you know basically it's the same as any other tr- i mean most treatment centers do a lot of the same kinds of things they bring people in make sure they get detox that's step one right uh, they've got the right people on hand to make sure people don't choke on themselves or mm-hmm. you know have some terrible cataclysmic thing happen 
Uh, and then they slowly, slowly, slowly start dialogue with clients about who are you. It's, what you have to do is, is convince somehow alcoholics and drug addicts that the alcohol and drug is nothing. It's, it's sure you got to stop. You've mm-hmm. got to stop picking up. You got to make that choice for life. But that's not the issue. The issue is that you have this terrible view of the world. You see everything through a dark cloud. Mm-hmm. Everybody is your enemy. You're always fighting with life. You're always struggling for control. And, and, and what happens is uh, you end up having to examine how you grew up, examine what your personal history is, examine why you have, why can one person, for example, today, I took a bus today. I didn't want to use my car. So on the bus, a guy got on and he had these drawings and, and I was startled by how beautiful they were. And he looked like he'd just fallen out of a bar. You know, he, he was kind of a mess. Uh And so, uh, I was chatting with him and with this lady I'd been talking to anyway. And then he, he put the he put the arm on me. He said, "Would you like to buy one for some change?" And I th- and it was clear I could smell the booze and the smoke. Right. It was clear that he was not a guy having a great life. But oh my God, was he ever talented? Right. Right. So I just emptied my change purse and my change thing in my pocket, you know. Right. And said, "Look, don't give me the the artwork. Do more of that." But here, so so. Uh, some people become that guy, and some people become Picasso. And the and the question is, what determines that fork in the road? What are the issues that drive a person? One of my one of my best friends is, you know, twenty seven, twenty eight years clean and sober, a brilliant, brilliant guy. You know, and by the way, he's a guy who who is clean and sober because of Alcoholics Anonymous and mm-hmm. does a lot of service work. So. Uh, there's a lot of different paths. Tropical Oasis will charge the same amount of money as the profit uh, places here that I mentioned, like the Orchard and and Cedars and Edgewood and Sunshine Zone, except that it includes a flight to Costa Rica. <laughs> to Costa Rica on the beach on the Pacific Ocean. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, and also, when if they're from the Vancouver area, they will automatically be signed up for my Stay Sober group. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have a good look at this uh, this wonderful uh, organization that uh, David is working with in both California and in uh, uh, Costa Rica, uh, you either Google Tropical Oasis uh, Recovery Centers, or you can take the website, which is oasistropical1.com, uh, and, uh, and David's got a write-up, and there's rather flattering, if I do say so myself, and, yeah. and you'll learn a lot about the, the professional caliber people they've, uh, they've uh, put together and, and these sorts of facilities. Uh, we're out of time it's great to talk to you uh, and will you come back and do this again can we talk some more we Any, get some great phone calls anytime and, and this is a terribly important subject and uh, a very interesting time of year that we've chosen to uh, to take it on here on vancouver consumer nice to see you again nice to see you keep you up the good it. work david yeah, thank Berger. you you're looking great buddy and sounding great as always well thanks merry christmas to you as well to you. we're back after this and once again, our thanks to David Berner for joining us today for a very important visit. Hopefully, some of the information we've discussed will be helpful to you or to someone in your life. And thanks for your calls, too. They were very good. Next week, Stephen Bennett from Mid-City Plumbers will join us for our year-ender, as he did last year, to take your calls literally about anything that's wrong with your house. We had a lot of fun last year. We will again next Saturday afternoon, and we look forward to your calls for that one as well, and I guarantee it's 
it's going to be awfully busy. Time now for the Steel Report, and today Drex is the guest host and has some winter driving tips. Hi, I'm Drex, and this is your Steel Report. BCAA has released their annual winter driving survey, and apparently 43% of all drivers surveyed in BC last year experienced what the company calls a winter driving incident. And so BCAA has released a set of driving recommendations in the aim of keeping drivers safer on the roads this year. Niela Melanio is with BCAA. First and foremost, know when not to drive. I know that sounds odd when we're talking about winter driving, but knowing when not to drive is key. So slow down, leave more room between you and other cars, and avoid trouble areas where we're finding uh, we're doing a lot of rescues, such as snowy or icy hills and narrow unplowed streets. And of course, take your car to an automotive professional, get it um, a winter, uh, winter checkup, and of course, get proper winter tires installed. Also released with the survey were the most common winter driving problems responded to by roadside assist agents. Cars sliding off the road or getting stuck due to not having proper winter tires or using tires, even winter tires, with worn out tread. Uh, we also had cars stuck in challenging areas such as snowy and icy hills, unplowed streets, and uh, cold temperatures, they do have an impact on cars. Uh, and so we're doing a lot of service for flat or underinflated tires, as well as dead batteries. Dead batteries continues to be a very, very common problem. So while the holiday season is now in full swing, BCAA is reminding drivers to be vigilant, but more than anything, to be prepared for heading out onto the roads this season. I'm Drex, and that's your Steel Report. Thanks, Drex. Steel and Drex, weekday afternoons 2 to 6 on 980 CKNW. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. There's a new study from Australia that has found a link between early retirement and an increased risk of death, especially among men. Researchers at the University of Melbourne, using the age 62, which is the age at which Americans can start collecting Social Security as their guideline, say that men who retire at 62 have about a 20% greater risk of dying early. For women, it's about half that number. It's not the money either. It's the dramatic changes that accompany retirement that they say is the killer, including mental health issues for which men are likely to be a problem. Now, the researchers don't say there is such a thing as the perfect age to retire, but they do say while there is a higher risk of death after early retirement, there's a lot to be said about keeping people in the workforce longer, except Again, that's not for everybody. For some, staying at work can be far more damaging. Bottom line, health. The Aussie scientists say make sure your health is the main focus at all times, and that will help guide you through retirement decisions, especially if you decide to retire early. And don't forget this small but happy story from the health file, too. Effective January 1st our medical service premiums will be cut in half. The new B.C. government announced this back in September, but you may have forgotten about it. There's no need to apply for a reduction. It will be handled automatically. And the ceiling for exemption from paying any MSP premiums has also gone up to 26000 for individuals and to 35000 for couples with two kids. It's all part of eliminating all Medicare premiums in four years, an election promise we'd be happy to see honored. And that is our... Our program for this week, produced by Ben Dooley with Amir Ali and Andrew Ferrara at the controls. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2 for the year-ender edition of Vancouver Consumer with Stephen Bennett and your calls on CKNW. And from all of us, our warmest wishes for a wonderful holiday season. Enjoy the time with your family and friends. Be safe. 
have fun, and Merry Christmas from all of us at Vancouver Consumer. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.